0: At the C-suite level, we're absolutely hearing about rapidly deteriorating margins, uh, in particular over the last 12 months, and, and every month that goes by, it's more significant. So, this has been exacerbated by uh, things such as the seven to nine percent pharmacy uh, raw price increases that, that have occurred in the last uh, 12 months, four to five percent supply side, you know, CPI price increases so price increase in general, then the reality that the CARES Act revenue has been running out for most hospitals, coupled with declining reimbursement per patient based on this higher volume of low acuity of patients in the inpatient setting and the move to more outpatient care. And then last but not least, this unprecedented labor cost spike based on short staffing, the need for more agency personnel, et cetera. So, a perfect negative storm of things that have lowered hospital margins greatly. Welcome to the Healthcare Supply Chain podcast series from a No Time to Waste. Uh, I'm Tim Berkey, I'm a managing director and the leader of a Healthcare Industry Group Supply Chain Practice. I want to thank you all for joining us for this inaugural episode of the podcast series. I'm, I'm really excited to share that this focus of the series is going to include discussions around the latest topics that healthcare organizations are facing in supply chain we're going to engage some of the industry leaders in this space and we look forward to covering many issues and challenges that colleagues are facing across the industry uh, today i'm lucky enough to be joined by my colleague peter Urbanowitz, a managing director and co-head of our healthcare industry group at alvarez and marcel Peter has experience as a corporate officer, a board member, restructuring consultant and attorney, and he's even built and led management teams to improve financial performance and operations of of leading organizations. Previously, Peter was appointed and served as the HHS Chief of Staff for Secretary Alex Azar. However, we're going to be switching things around a bit today, and Peter is going to be asking me the hard-hitting questions in this format, and then we go into future podcasts, I will be asking questions of hospital-based leaders. So
1: with that, Peter. Thank you, Tim. It's really great to be with you and hosting your series inaugural episode. So now that I'm flipped on as the moderator, I'm going to briefly introduce Tim to the audience. Tim Berkey has more than 30 years of healthcare industry experience, including leading large-scale supply chain expense reduction imperatives and serving as a technical subject matter expert in supply chain and purchase service categories. Tim, let's jump right into the discussion. Tell me a little bit more about what we can expect and look forward to in this podcast series. Thanks, Peter. Uh, One
0: of the things I I sort of alluded to, but it's worth being um, more overt, we're always going to have an eye toward practical solutions uh, that make sense in a post-pandemic world, recognizing that even some of the audience would debate whether we're really out of the pandemic as it relates to supply chain. And what that means is we're gonna be hearing from leaders in organizations on the front line, supply chain professionals, occasionally executives in those organizations. So example topics are gonna be the, the more relevant things such as optimizing the use of technology, dealing with the reality of supply chain fatigue and short staffing, looking at inventory management best practices, we're going to talk a little bit more about inventory uh, in this initial podcast strategic vendor partnerships have garnered a lot more interest in the last several years Uh, we'll still touch on things such as vendor price negotiation certainly purchase services and last but not least measuring organizational supply chain management performance Uh, but again we're going to follow what the industry leaders say is the most pressing things they're dealing with and more specifically how they're addressing those challenges
1: So, Tim, over the last few years, especially during the height of the pandemic, we kept hearing a lot about the need for supply chains to be more, quote, resilient. We especially heard that when our hospital clients couldn't find N95 respirator masks or PPE at any price, and at home when our Wayfair or our new appliance order got delayed. So what does that word resilient mean to you? I like that question, I think the classic definition of
0: resilience or resilient is something to the effect of the ability to recover quickly in difficult situations. So we might say, generally speaking, things that undergird this ability to be resilient uh, include having more options to address common problems, being more nimble in terms of how work gets done, possibly including an openness to new solutions Um, certainly having a culture that can embrace the unknown with less fear than perhaps existed even in this uh, shocking event of the pandemic and and the uncertainty of of how to proceed being resilient is undergirded by having less ego or pride and instead we might say an openness to any ideas that that are going to make supply chain even better And and I should finish with uh, being even more fiscally effective. Organizations that are able to be more resilient, again, having more options, are enhanced by being more fiscally effective because that creates more options for technology and other investment. So uh, it's a great question and one that we are going to put to those supply chain leaders in future podcasts to understand what they're doing to become more resilient.
1: Tim, there's been talk for years about the need for hospitals to be more clinically integrated in terms of supply chain sourcing and contracting. And pre-pandemic, it seems we were hammering on large health systems to be careful about tying up too much of their working capital on months of supply sitting on shelves that get lost or expire. What's the current state of this across the industry? How would you say hospitals are doing in this area? Two really
0: great questions. I'm gonna actually answer the second of those first, which was your focus on an inventory, and I'll come back to the point about clinically integrated. Um, Relative to the inventory, there was this known and significant purchasing of PPE in the earlier stages of the pandemic based on real and, and sometimes perceived fears of the product unavailability, but mostly real challenges around product availability. So with that ramp up in those purchases, uh, in the earlier stages of the pandemic and into early 21, there was then this significant burn down of those inventory stockpiles in the second half of 21 2022. and 2022. And an interesting thing happened. That inventory burn down, which made sense, then lessened the top line supply expenditure for those items. However, it didn't resolve the core issue that you might have been alluding to, which is that large piles of excess inventory can create opportunity for loss, in some cases theft, certainly product expiration. I spoke to an organization in the Mid-Atlantic in the last year who had actually thrown out over a million dollars in expired inventory the largest portion of that PPE, because they didn't happen to know at that time that there were reputable liquidation companies that will even buy expired item. Now, many supply chain professionals already know that, but not all. So th- there are inventory management challenges. I think in summary on that point, inventory stockpiling really was somewhat of a natural reaction to this incredible and unexpected event in COVID. The key looking forward is what learnings organizations have taken from that to avoid Uh, panic buys in the future and, and, you know, what are their secondary sources of supply, perhaps going back to that point of resiliency. Uh, This is going to be something that we will talk to hospital leaders about in future podcasts. The first part of the question was clinically integrated or clinically integrated supply chain. Those I've spoken with really have indicated that being more clinically integrated infers a more holistic design and results in terms of what types of products and services are utilized that achieve the most ideal clinical outcomes versus a more traditional focus on how do I get a better unit price for what I'm buying, even if it's four different things in a certain patient category, but without certainty of which provides the best total cost or total clinical outcome. So in terms of being very simplistic, there are stark ways to think about it. And they're both at opposite ends of a spectrum. One is that traditional sourcing view I talked about, looking at the lowest price, but not with any certainty of whether that product or service yields the best outcome. And and outcomes could be clinical quality, total cost, time, or even patient satisfaction. On the other end of the spectrum, you have the strategic sourcing view, that says, you know, we're going to look at, you know, the empirical analysis, we might say the total cost benefit, including a myriad of metrics that inform the best product or service to be selected, and only then going about strategic sourcing, you know, for those items. So that's the way I would think about it on the spectrum, and perhaps inferred by what I've already said, it's worth saying that clinically integrated in, in air quotes means that sourcing and contracting doesn't simply occur in a vacuum. So leading clinically integrated organizations, not surprisingly, commonly have leading value analysis, leading physician engagement, leading quality improvement strategies to ensure that there's this comprehensive evaluation of outcomes that occur versus a a more traditional, again, what is that lowest cost that we can obtain. These really just scratch the surface in terms of a definition of clinical integration. And as I've alluded a couple of times, we are going to pose this topic to the supply chain professionals in future
1: podcasts. Tim, you talk to hospital administrators frequently and you hear directly from the front lines. So, what are these hospital administrators telling you are their most pressing challenges in 2023? And what are their strategies? To address those challenges, well, we could fill a whole sixty minute podcast on just that
0: subject. so i'll I'll hit a couple of of things that occur to me when you ask that question. First, at the c-suite level, we're absolutely hearing about rapidly deteriorating margins, uh, in particular over the last twelve months and and every month that goes by, it's more significant. So this has been exacerbated by uh, things such as the 7 to 9% pharmacy uh, raw price increases that, that have occurred in the last uh, 12 months, 4 to 5% supply side, you know, CPI price increases, so price increase in general. Then the reality that the CARES Act revenue has been running out for most hospitals, coupled with declining reimbursement per patient based on this higher volume of low acuity of patient in the inpatient setting and the move to more outpatient care. And then, last but not least, this unprecedented labor cost spike based on short staffing, the need for more agency personnel, et cetera. So, a perfect negative storm of things that have lowered hospital margins greatly. Hospital margins were at five to 6% in late 21. They're often negative 1% or more for many organizations now. So there's this pressure that's being exerted from leaders, not just on supply chain, but on supply chain as one of the constituents to help fund a margin improvement need in the organization. So, you know, you have this reality and many supply chain functions are finding themselves short-staffed and fatigued, and, and yet they're being asked and told they have to deliver or help find large-scale margin improvement. So the, the first answer is that executive imperative, margin improvement. At the more granular supply chain level, I'm hearing from those leaders a renewed interest or question in how technology can create more labor efficiency. That's just a natural response to the labor challenges and, and certainly an interest in, you know, Technology efficiencies and enhanced interest in purchase services, sourcing and contracting as an area that was under sourced in the past um, while supplies were contracted and a newer interest uh, in framing what was once traditional consulting more in the way of delivery partners. So uh, I alluded to strategic partnerships earlier. I'm hearing more questions around what are the ideal ways to think about strategic partnerships. We can't just get it done fast enough, is is the challenge I'm hearing from a lot of hospitals.
1: Tim, you titled this podcast series No Time to Waste. I'm curious about your thoughts behind this name, because there's often a negative connotation with the word waste or waste produced by healthcare organizations. What are the more common examples of waste in the healthcare supply chain?
0: Well, I think I've done this a few times and I, I'll do it again. I'm going to give you a, perhaps a two-part answer to that. The first thing that occurs to me when you say that is you're right. It can be a negative connotation. It's doesn't have to be. We'll talk more about that. It's it's based on how broadly that term is used. So let's take something out of supply chain to, to make more sense. So let's say I work uh, 50 hours a week and if I know I wasted or was highly inefficient in two hours last week, I could say either of the following things to you and they would both be true. I could say, Peter, I wasted two hours last week. Or or with your observation, you could say, Tim, I think you wasted two hours last week. That's fundamentally different than us agreeing, I was 96% efficient in my work delivery, meaning 48 out of those 50 hours. So one is a negative connotation of I wasted two hours. The other is more a focus on how efficient I was. Now, either of those still doesn't change the reality that from an academic or technical standpoint, you know, there's two hours of greater efficiency and and results that could have been delivered. Uh, So I'm not trying to just mince words here to pretend that those two hours didn't exist, but, but it matters in terms of how one thinks about waste. Another way of of thinking about that is really the second part of your question. Um, A lot of persons in healthcare tend to think about the actual physical waste, and in supply chain, that might be items never used but thrown away or lost, items open and unused after a surgical case that were sitting on the back table. But in this podcast series, I'd like to challenge our listeners to think broadly about ways to reduce waste, not just the physical waste, but all domains. So, to kind of step back and think about wasting costs. If you're paying an excess price over what others in the market are paying for that same product and same vendor, that excess price you're paying is waste. It's not physical waste, but it's waste nonetheless. Spending more time than should really be necessary for work activities is waste. Uh, So, in that broad definition, they're all waste. Um, What I would say is, to finish the answer, when I interact and communicate with organizations, I'm careful to describe waste by emphasizing that it's the last mile aspect of optimization. And I use this phrase, last mile, all the time. So, if an organization is paying, again, a unit price, let's say it's for a total joint implant, and maybe it's nine percent above the benchmark price that they can obtain in the market with that same vendor i'll first say to the organization we believe you're achieving 91 percent of your optimal pricing versus saying well you're you're paying nine percent too much again the reality is how can we go from 91 percent to something greater than that let's emphasize the positive we've already accomplished but with an eye toward how we can do even better
1: so speaking of positive, let's end this episode on an optimistic note. What makes you optimistic about supply chain and healthcare in 2023 and even beyond this year?
0: I'm really glad you asked that
1: question because it's easy to focus on all the challenges.
0: And, and certainly the individuals listening to that on the front lines deal with the, the challenges and realities every day. I would say that we you know we've heard healthcare leaders and executives alike say that the one thing the pandemic did especially early on was shine a light on the value of an effective supply chain and its you know vital or strategic importance to the organization. And since that time more organizations certainly not all have elevated you know the supply chain leader into the C suite recognizing that supply chain is a strategic asset, not one physical asset, but all supplies, all services that are managed, and the value of that asset is significant. I would want to extend that general point by saying that the pandemic has created sort of this unintended blessing, if if our audience is going to forgive perhaps the way I said that. In other words, the mere fact that healthcare financials are now or will soon be for a lot of hospitals perilous, has created this ironic situation where it's easier to take an all-hands-on-deck approach, a situation perhaps in which executives and supply chain leaders can be freed from traditional behaviors, fears, and instead embrace a a new way of thinking, new learnings and successes as as a step forward. So for the leaders listening to that uh, comment, maybe those in the C-suite, they have this awesome opportunity to really reframe what they need from supply chain how they value what supply chain does and what they and their role can do to support supply chain from an investment and staffing perspective and similarly those supply chain leaders have the same opportunity to do that with those that work in their function so i think the point is in closing the common challenge that everybody sees with margin improvement needs, being so great, creates this window to commonly embrace what has to be done versus a traditional judgment. So if you're an organization that has to save $100 million, and that's bigger than supply chain, and for supply chain's portion of that, there's an assumed improvement opportunity. And let's say supply chain over deploys on that by 10 million. If you're that CFO or COO, you have an opportunity to be glad about that extra 10 million being funded towards the imperative versus lamenting that that 10 million dollars wasn't already achieved two years ago. So there's a certain mindset, if you will, and I'm optimistic that the climate makes it easier for these leaders to partner.
1: Tim, thanks so much for these insights and giving us a great starting point for additional conversations on healthcare supply chain, which I know you're going to be covering in future episodes of this series.
0: Thanks, Peter, for moderating and joining today. And as mentioned, future podcasts are going to be myself then interviewing leaders on the front line, supply chain leaders and other executives. So I would ask that uh, those listening consider joining for the next episode in the series of supply chain, No Time to Waste. And you can find that and listen wherever you get your podcast.
1: Thank you.